Thank you for joining us today. The Word of God provides everything we need throughout our earthly existence. There is absolutely nothing that has, is, or will occur in our lives that is not covered by the blood of Jesus. Our sovereign God loves us so much that He created us in His own image and sacrificed His only begotten sinless Son to cover all of our sins. When we surrender our all to Him, we begin to experience the greatest love of all and become recipients of eternal life. Listen with Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander ministers to us today. And Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We just uh, ask you to help me now like only you can to preach a message of hope and truth and love and doctrine to the glory of your name. Thank you for the privilege of preaching in times like these. We pray against satanic distractions. We pray that people will stay focused right now and disarm and disengage uh, cell phones and all these things that can distract us away from truth. We love you. We bless you now in Jesus' name. And all God's God's children said, Amen. Amen. Blessed be God from whom all blessings flow. Have your Bibles. Turn with us to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, 18. It'll be our foundational scripture, and then we shall move on to other related passages uh, as we preach through the Word of God. The scripture says in Matthew 16, 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And from this particular passage, we want to preach the anatomy of the Lord's church, part five. The anatomy of the Lord's church, part five. When we think of the word anatomy, we think of the structure of a human body. Beloved, the same is true for the spiritual body of the Lord's church. The church is a living spiritual organism that has structure. The church has organization. The church has governance. The church has order. And the church has purpose. If you were to ask many saints, what is the purpose of the church? I can imagine you would get a variety of answers. There are believers who have been saved for years who do not know the structure of the church or her mission on earth. The church was ordained by God. The church was created by God. The church was established by by our Lord, of which he is the great head of the church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ exclusively. Therefore, the intent of this message is to get believers to understand the anatomy of the church, the purpose of the church, and the mission of the church, so that we as his children can be united together in one spirit and purpose as we carry out the cause of Christ on earth. With that being said, what is the church? What is the church? The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. 
The church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly of called out ones. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, according to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The church is a community of all believers who are born again. The church is, is made up of the redeemed. The church is of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of believers who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, sealed and baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those particular scriptures can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, as well as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Now, let's transition to what are the purposes of the church. What are the purposes of the church? The church has purpose. The church has meaning. The church has great value. Number one, uh, the purpose of the church is to teach biblical doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. In Acts 2, 42a, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, God holds his church responsible for teaching sound biblical doctrine so we can be well grounded in our faith. If the doctrine, if we don't teach sound doctrine, if the church is not teaching sound doctrine, the church will be weak, the church will be shallow, the church will be whimsical, the church will be flighty, the church will be very transient because there's no doctrine to undergird the church to, for the church to gain proper spiritual footage and to be able to stand in the times in which we live. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, then, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Matthew sixteen eighteen also says, I will build my church. Jesus makes a statement of declaration here when he says, I will build my church. When he says this, the church was not established. The church was not established till our Lord had ascended off Mount Olivet and taken up to heaven in a cloud. Uh, the church started in Acts chapter 2, as we have already forestated. So when Jesus speaks here before the disciples, he says, I will build my church. Christ will build his church through strong, sound biblical teaching to win lost souls for Christ. Uh, Christ builds his church for the purpose of sanctifying his people. The church is for the purpose of glorifying Christ on earth. If the church does not glorify Christ, then where else will God get his glory? You can't expect politicians to glorify Christ, except for those few who are who are in right relationship with Christ. But for the most part, you're not going to expect the people of the world, uh, Satan's domain to glorify Christ. It is the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify Christ on earth, to praise him. Beloved, the church is built on Christ, who is the foundation and chief cornerstone of the church. Some churches are are just uh, wavering because they're, they're built on the wrong stuff. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the, the bedrock of the church. 
He is the capstone of the church. We do not have to compete with Christ when it comes to building his church, but rather uh, we are to be co-laborers with Christ. You say, I'm going to build a great church. No, you're not going to build a church. Jesus said he will build the church. Your responsibility is to follow the scripture and co-labor with him as he build his church. You see, that's fulfilling the purpose of God and his church on earth. Uh, The second main purpose of the church is to provide, number two, the purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship for believers. The church is uh, is, is for the purpose of providing a place of fellowship for believers. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which means sharing. Fellowship means partnership or to have in common with one another. Those who receive Jesus Christ become partners with him and other believers. The early church had a strong spiritual bond. The early church had intimacy. They were close knit. They enjoyed being together. You know, some people come to come into the Lord's house. They don't enjoy being together. They they don't sit by me. Don't touch me. Uh, they, They rush out as fast as they can to get to the parking lot. They won't wave at anybody. They won't even smile. It's it's all about them. But the early church. Uh, they they enjoyed being together and also enjoyed eating fellowship meals together in each other's home. When is the last time believers ate in your home and had some good old cornonia? When is the last time believers assembled uh, themselves? Just a few. I'm not saying it had to be 30 or 40 people. What about two or three or even one? You mean to tell me you've been at Maranatha for 20 years and not one person has been in your house in 20 years? You need to fix that. <laughs> once, once this situation of the virus and all these things get cleared out and all this, the ramifications of it get cleared out, you need to have some koinonia, some fellowship in your home. It is most biblical as we see it in the New Testament church. They broke meals together with each other and they ate in each other's home. Life circumstances uniquely affect people differently, yet God's love, grace, and mercy are limitless. The good news is God's word is uniquely sufficient. He knows what to do in every situation. He made us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible tells us to trust him, lean on him, and to acknowledge him. Whether it's a success, a setback, or a failure, no matter what it is, God will order our steps when we depend on him and him alone to uniquely perform his good and perfect work within us. Listen as Pastor Rander continues. Acts 2.42 through 47 gives us a beautiful picture of fellowship demonstrated by the believing community at Jerusalem and displays what genuine Christ-centered, healthy church, a church should look like. If you want to know what a church should look like, just read it in your quiet time. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. You don't have to read it now, but read it in your quiet time. Uh, uh, Beloved, The church should extend beyond just your immediate family. Some people say, well, you know what? I'm having a good time. I can just have church in my house and me and my children, us four shut the door and no more. You know, and you and once this pandemic is over and I know many have underlying conditions or many are fretful or worried or or these kinds of things are going on. And we can certainly understand that. But but be it known to you today, the church is bigger than your personal family. It is bigger than your personal family. You say, you say, well, why why do you say that? Because God has deposited in each of us at salvation spiritual gifts. 
And those gifts have been deposited into us for the purpose of discipling others. Discipleship goes beyond your family. It goes through the entirety of the body of Christ. The church goes beyond your family because you are to build up the body of Christ. Your family is part of the body of Christ, but then you are to build up and serve the body at large to the glory of almighty God. As a matter of fact, the word of God says forsake not in Hebrews 10, 24, 25, the assembling of ourselves together. In times like these, we can understand uh, why people uh, have reservations about being away or, or legitimate reasons for being away and all these kinds of things. So we're not talking about you by, by uh, YouTube and live streaming and Facebook and all of these things, but but I'm saying even when these things are over, you are to get your family and say, you know what? It's time to go to church. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, because you have gift deposited into you to be a blessing to others. We are blessed to be a blessing. Say it with me as loud as you can. We are blessed, we are blessed. to be a blessing. Again, we are blessed to be a blessing and your blessing should go of others should go beyond your family. It should go to the single parents, to those who are struggling, to seniors, to youth, to all kinds of people. We, with the body of Christ, God holds us responsible for doing his will on earth. He wants to use our hands. He wants to use our feet, our ears. He wants us to serve. In these last days, the church should be the church. The church needs to be a shining light right now. We're not to be in some cubby hole in some corner somewhere saying, whoa, is me. Oh, no, we ought to be excited. We ought not be depressed. We ought not be full of fear and worry and anxiety. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, these things began to wane. A divided, fragmented church cannot affect our nation and world for righteousness. Jesus himself placed a high value on the on unity as he prayed to the father that the church would be one as he and the father are one in the gospel of John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. What keeps the church unified and in the spirit of oneness? What keeps the church unified and in a spirit of oneness? Jesus prayed to the father that they, the church would be one long before the church was established. Believers cannot function in the unity of the spirit if they do not allow the Lord to tame their tongue. If our tongue is not under control, we will tear up the church and the church will not be unified. James chapter three, verse six and verses eight through 10 says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell, but no man can tame the tongue. You need to underline that. No one, no one, no child, no, no, no girl, no boy, no adult. Male or female can tame the tongue without the Holy Spirit's help. The tongue is an unruly evil, says the scripture, full of deadly poison. It poisons, it contaminates. Your tongue can contaminate your family, your wife, your husband, your children. 
to set your family back because of what you say as the head of the house. Uh, you, you, you are not to kill your family's motivation. You are not set your family back spiritually. Uh, even if you're in spiritual regression, you need to you'd ask the Lord to pull you out of regression so that you can rise up. This is our moment for God. Did you hear what I just said? This is our moment for God to take a stand, to shine, to smile, to believe God, to trust God, to hope in God, to look to Jesus. So folk can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why don't you say amen? It is on the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and father and with it, we curse men. Who have been made in the likeness of God. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth. The same mouth. Your mouth. That same mouth you have. We have. Proceed blessings. And out of that same mouth we turn around and curse somebody out. My brethren. The scripture says. These things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. My friend, if you are not walking under the control of the Holy Spirit, your tongue will do great damage to others. It'll do great damage to your family, your wife, your children. It'll do great damage to the Lord's church. It'll do do great damage to your siblings in the workplace and on and on it goes. Without the Holy Spirit's help, it is impossible to tame the tongue. You need to write that down. Without the Holy Spirit's help, it is absolutely impossible to tame the the tongue. You need God's help with that little tiny part that's located in your mouth between two teeth. And it has a way of getting out and doing a world of damage. Therefore, before you speak, you need to ask yourself the following question. Is what I'm about to say edifying to others? Is it going to build the church up? Is it going to build the church leadership up? Is it going to build my family up? Is, is, is it edifying? If it's not going to build anybody up, then why are you going to say it? Or will my words be destructive? Will my words be destructive? Will it tear down? Ask yourself before you even open your mouth, will my words be unifying or will it be divisive? With a word out of my mouth, bring people together, give people hope, usher in a spirit of unity, or will it scatter people, create doubt? You know, and sometimes it's not with your tongue. You can also do great damage with texting and with emailing and with tweeting and with social media. So it's not just about using the tongue. It's also about using those little fingers you have. Saying things you ought not say. As a matter of fact, Being on social media too much, you can actually social media your way into trouble. If if I'm telling the truth, say amen. When you on some, I'm not saying you can't get on it, but you better make sure the Lord is guiding you as you are on it. You better make sure you pray before you even get on it. And you ought to make sure you ask yourself before the Lord, is this uh, worth putting out there? Who's going to read it? And how would it be a blessing if God was sending this tweet or email or text or whatever? Would he text this? It would change the whole dynamic of what we do and how we do what we do. 
And we'll leave some things unsaid. We'll leave some things unemailed, and we'll leave some things untweeted. We, we can talk ourselves into trouble. Next question. Will my words bring glory to Christ? Or are my words energized by Satan? Will my words bring glory to Christ? Is what I'm saying, is it going to glorify Christ, bring praise and delight and joy to the heart of God? Or is it going to break the heart of God and grieve God? Beloved, this is why it is so important, so important that you, you be swift to hear and slow to speak. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is how we preserve the unity of the spirit in the family. This is how we preserve the unity of the spirit in the church, the unity of the spirit in the workplace and everywhere else we go. Jesus prayed that the church would be one as he and the father are one because he knew the tremendous impact the church would have as a unified front to advance the great commission on planet Earth. The the third purpose of the church, number three, y'all hanging with me? The third purpose of the church is to partake of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. The third purpose of the church is to partake of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42b, in Acts 2, 42b, it says that the early church broke bread together. The breaking of bread refers to both the Lord's Supper and also to eating a common fellowship meal together. Again, the breaking of bread refers to both the Lord's Supper and also to eating a common fellowship meal together. During the early church, the early days of the church, a love feast was held in connection with the uh, Lord's Supper. During the early days of the church, a love feast was held in connection with the Lord's Supper as an expression of the love of the saints for one another. It was a love feast, common meal, along with the Lord's table. The early church placed great emphasis on the observance of the Lord's Supper. And that's why we we do that today, because it is from Scripture, where believers came together regularly to remember Christ's shed blood and death on our behalf, which is required for all believers today. That is not optional. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 26 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. The Lord is coming back again and he wants us to be found faithful in honoring him in holy communion. Holy communion is required of believers. It is not optional. It is mandated. Why did he mandate it? Because of his sacrificial work on the cross on our behalf. We couldn't die for ourselves and save ourselves. He did what we couldn't do. And knowing that we're so quick to forget, he put this in motion as a Ongoing reminder, so we won't forget 
that awesome day on Calvary because he knows the forgetfulness of humanity. The Lord's Supper also requires self-examination. The Lord's Supper also requires self-examination for the purpose of purging sin out of the church and out of the believers. The Lord's Supper also requires self-examination for the purpose of purging sin out of believers, which resulted in purifying the church. You know, we have that moment where we say, close your eyes, bow your head and search your own soul, body, soul and spirit for, for any known sins by thought, deeds or actions. We do that all the time because we want to come clean before God when we take Holy Communion. And you know what? And when each individual does that sincerely before the Lord, guess what's happening? The whole church is being simultaneously purged of sin. Did you get that? You know, when I'm when I'm dealing with my sins, you're dealing with your sins. The children are dealing with their sins. Guess what? It has it, it has a purging effect on the entirety of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, where is that? Look, look, the examining of yourself. Where is it? It's located right there in the text in first Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. You'll see that. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you know, philippantly, uh, nonchalantly, carelessly, recklessly, uh, unworthy manner in sin will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Now, we're good at examining everybody else. But here it didn't say everybody else. It says himself or herself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Don't mishandle the taking of holy communion. It is sacred. It is ordained by God. It is holy. It is reverent. It is not to be played with. And we need to go by Holy Scripture in the implementation and execution of it. As committed children of the only true and living God, we walk by faith and not by sight. Life on earth is not easy. Yet, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, we have joy, hope, peace, strength, and God's blessed assurance as we face trials. Best yet, we look forward to hearing our Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, and eternal life with our Lord and Savior. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.